Good morning. Welcome to Reflections on the Scriptures. My name is Murray Shanks, and I'm the pastor of Foster Baptist Church on the mid coast of New South Wales in Australia. I don't know about you, but for me, if I'm really honest with myself and with all of you, I have found these past few weeks somewhat unsettling. The growing number of COVID cases, the, the, the dreadful situation unfolding in Afghanistan, the fact that my elderly mother has a positive case amongst her immediate neighbours and as yet she is unvaccinated, the various pastoral care issues that I'm dealing with at the moment and the fact that our governments just don't seem to be able to face up to the reality of climate change and all that that may mean for God's glorious creation in the coming years has led me to the point where I found myself simply praying for peace, not, not just for me, not just for us, but for the whole world at this time. Today in our journey through the Gospel of John, we, we come to chapter 20, verse 19. This is such an important passage for us today. Here we find that Jesus has risen. He has appeared to Mary Magdalene and Peter and John, and they have returned from the empty tomb, having seen the empty grave and the clothes lying there where his body lay. So let's open the word of God to John chapter 20, verse 19. It says, On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. On the evening of that first day of the week, Sunday, literally the day Jesus rose from the dead, the disciples had gathered together with the doors locked. Obviously, they were extremely anxious about all that had happened, tired, stressed, living on the back end of the most crazy, stressful roller coaster ride of fear and emotion imaginable. For a moment, just try to do that. Try to imagine what these men and women, these early followers of Jesus, had been through over the previous three days. And as you do that, remember that they are tired. They would have been exhausted. And we all know, don't we, how lack of sleep and tiredness affects how we think and respond in difficult situations. As they gathered together, they must have asked themselves, did this really happen? Did Jesus really rise from the dead? Was Mary delusional? Did she, could, I mean, could she really have spoken with Jesus? What would the Romans now do to them? And what would the Jews do to them? I mean, how would they respond? It's no wonder they were hiding in a locked room. But then Jesus appears out of nowhere through locked doors and simply says, Peace be with you. The good shepherd knew his sheep and he knew what they needed. Above all else, they needed his peace, his peace that went beyond anything they could understand. He deliberately showed them his scars, hands torn open by brutal nails driven through flesh, his side opened up by the thrust of a soldier's spear. And John records, they were overjoyed. Their fear had flipped over immediately into joy. The really great news for us is Jesus, the good shepherd, still knows exactly what his sheep need. Our stresses, our concerns may be different from those of the first disciples, 
but the effect can be the same. Anxiety, paralysis, fear, the the desire to hide away is just as prevalent for many of us today. Jesus comes to you and me and he simply says, Why are you crying? Peace be with you. I am here. Have a look at, at verse 21. And again Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Again, Jesus emphasised his peace coming upon them. But then he makes this amazing statement. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. As he was sent, they and we are now sent. In this alone, the fact that we are sent ones, there is peace, there is comfort in that truth. There is security. Knowing that we are doing God's work, that we are ambassadors for the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, knowing that he goes with us wherever we go is a wonderful truth. And it's a truth that should fill us with peace and a sense of security. Jesus then did a very unusual thing. He, he breathed on them. What that looked like, I don't know. And in doing so, he gave them the Holy Spirit. Jesus breathed on them just like God breathed on Adam right back in the very beginning. In Genesis 2, verse 7, we read this. Have a look. Immediately after forming him from the dust of the earth, God breathed on him. And he, as he did that, he became spiritually alive, an image bearer of the creator. Jesus now is the first of the new creation. And he breathed on those who would be the new image bearers those who would be filled with his Holy Spirit, those who one day would receive a new creation body just like his. As I said to you last week, the the new creation was fashioned after and fashioned from the old creation. That's why Jesus still has his scars. That's why he was still recognisable to those who knew him intimately. His body was fashioned after. I mean, he still had two arms, two legs, etc., fashioned from the old, yet now radically different from the old. His body was now able to pass through locked doors, uh, appear and disappear in in vastly removed locations, yet still he was able to eat with, uh, drink with, and be physically touched by his followers. This is not simply more of the same. Jesus is the first of a new creation, human, but not sin-stained, corrupted humanity. He is the firstborn of all that we will ultimately be. That is sin-free, incorruptible, indestructible, Holy Spirit-empowered humanity. Jesus then invites his disciples into the biggest work of God in the universe, the restoration of humanity through the forgiveness of sin, so that men and women from every tribe and nation and people group may be like him, human sin-free humans, children of God. Ultimately, human beings can't forgive sin because sin is against God. Sin is our wrong response to God. Yet, having said that, we do have Jesus' words here recorded for us. In verse 23, he says, If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. God 
would forgive sins. Now through them, through us, his people working in his name. I mean, all sin has been dealt with through Jesus' death on the cross. That's why Jesus was able to say just prior to his death, it is finished, the debt is paid in full. Therefore, all sins can be forgiven through Christ and subsequently through those who are in Christ. God brings his children into all that he is doing in the world, even the biggest of all issues, the sin issue. As I've said to you many times before, we are conduits, we are channels of God's grace, his love and forgiveness into his world. This is why when we are dealing with sinful people, people who wrong us in some way, people who do terrible things, we must always remember how thoroughly sinful we ourselves are and just how much we have been forgiven. The extent to which grace has been poured out on us should directly reflect the extent to which we are gracious and forgiving toward others. John then then moves to tell us about one of the disciples who wasn't able to be there in the upper room on that first Sunday. Have a look at verse 24. John says, Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Of course, very few were given the opportunity to see and believe, like Thomas. And it's worth noting that John, the author of this gospel, had the very same experience in the empty tomb. As John looked at the empty grave clothes, he saw and believed. John is writing many, many years later to a future generation to encourage those who have not seen yet believe. The Lord himself said, you are more blessed because you have not seen yet you believe. We are blessed when, without having seen the Lord Jesus, the risen Lord for ourselves, we nevertheless believe in him. Today in the world we live in, there's so much emphasis on knowing why you know something and being able to to give reasons, evidence for knowing something. But this is so counter to one of our most wonderful God-given faculties, intuition. This ability we have to know something intuitively, deep within us that defies reason, without really knowing how we know it. Of course, love is probably the most supreme example of this intuition. How we can fall head over heels in love with one person and not another, who might be very much like them in virtually every way, defies logic and reason. But we know it is true, don't we? A young man knows that he knows that he knows that he loves 
this woman over all other women. And yet when asked, how do you know that you love this woman? All he can say is, I, I, I just do. And when asked, how do you know Jesus is alive and that he loves you, that he knows your name? We can struggle along trying to work it out through evidence and reason, but ultimately there is an intuitive sense that we just know that we know. And at times it just doesn't make sense at one level, but at another we know it so deeply, so intuitively, so much to the core of our very being that we would gladly stake our life on it. This is what Jesus is saying to us. You are blessed when you know deep within you, I am alive that you believe beyond the need to see and touch. This is true faith. John tells us emphatically what his book is about and why he wrote it. He wrote so that we may believe Jesus is the Christ and that by believing we may have life in his name. Ultimately, John's testimony is not just about believing something. The purpose is that we may believe and then as a result, enter into the life, eternal life, won for us by Christ. Well, that appears to be the end of John's gospel. It sounds like an ending, doesn't it? And it probably was the first ending, the ending of that first draft, possibly, written in the years just prior to John's death. But we have this extra little chapter, chapter 21, and as we read chapter 21, it, it, feels, it feels like an addition, something tacked on, something tacked on at the end. Scholars believe that John probably dictated this last section right at the very end, and then after his death, it was added to the rest of the gospel, and there it has stayed to this very day. We'll spend some time in this last chapter next week as we conclude our series through the Gospel of John. But uh, now I want us to share communion together. So if you have some elements um, there that you would like to grab, that would be great. You can stop the recording and and, uh, and go and get something organised. The history of humanity is one of conflict. I mean, every day our news feeds are filled with more and more stories and images of conflict. I'm often amazed how with um, social media and the fact that that we all have really good quality video cameras right there with us at any time, that things that happen out on the street all over the world, people, people can film it, violent actions, conflict, road rage. They just get filmed and they get shared and things go viral in, in a very short time. I mean, millions of people end up watching something and... So it seems to me like we are, it's probably always been happening, but we just haven't seen it as much. So we've lived in this kind of delusion that things aren't quite as bad as they probably are. But now, with with all the different various social media platforms, it seems like we're just bombarded with images of conflict. But our greatest conflict is with our Creator through what Jesus did on the cross, that conflict is ended and there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is why when Jesus appeared to his disciples on that very first Sunday, the first thing he said to them was, peace be with you. 
That is exactly what we celebrate when we celebrate communion together every month. The peace of God is now available to every person who puts their hope in Jesus. When we celebrate communion together, we often, and rightfully so, focus on what was done for us. We focus on the reality that Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice for us, his body broken and his blood shed. Yet ultimately, what we celebrate is that through that sacrifice, we are forgiven everything. We are reconciled to God and the conflict is ended. The grace of God which flowed so freely has removed every spot and every stain of sin. Through the love of God and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we have been restored to our Heavenly Father. We are no longer separated from Him, but have been restored to friendship with Him. That is what we celebrate when we remember what the Lord Jesus did for us. The Apostle Paul records these words for us in his letter to the Corinthians. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he'd given thanks... He broke and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I want to give you four things to think on this morning as we share communion together. I've mentioned these a number of times over the last 18 months, and they're very important that we keep coming back to them. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. We do this regularly so that we are continually called back to the very core of who we are and what we're about. As a gathering of people who meet regularly around this table, we are not a club or an association. We are the body of Christ We are the family of God, and this is our family table. So today, remember the Lord. Remember the Lord together with all of us. I know we're separated at the moment through through the COVID-19 lockdown, um, but we can do this knowing that we are doing this together, to rejoice Your sins have been washed away. No spot or blemish remains and you are no longer condemned. So we do this regularly to rejoice that when God looks at you, he sees the righteousness of Christ. So this morning, rejoice that you are washed clean. Number three, we do this to repent and to be reconciled. Whilst we are washed clean, we all know that we still sin. So as you come this morning to celebrate around the Lord's table, come with repentant hearts. This morning, come to the Lord, repent and be reconciled to the Father. And finally, this morning, recognise that we also proclaim the gospel by what we do this morning. Gospel simply means the good news. This is the central truth of Christianity, represented here by, by the bread, the juice. Jesus Christ giving his body and his blood in your place so that Jesus no longer sees your sins, but rather Jesus' sinlessness. So this morning, today, hear the good news about Jesus and proclaim it to your friends and neighbours.
Let me pray. Lord, as we take these elements now, the bread representing your body broken for us, we say thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for your body. Your body which was broken, you gave it willingly for us. And Lord, we we take this cup. We drink it acknowledging that we, we have one cup in a sense, one loaf and one cup because we are one simply because we are in you. We are all in Christ. And we take this cup knowing that it represents your, your blood that was shed for the remission of our sins, your blood that can do what nothing else in the whole universe can do, it can cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for your blood. We bless you this morning. Amen.